You were listening to a message from The Exchange in Pearl, Mississippi. To find out more about The Exchange, go to www.theexchange.cc. All right, here we go. You ready? We're going to dive into the Word today. We're stepping, uh, stepping into part four of a series called The Jesus Formed Life. The Jesus Formed Life. So all my note takers, you can write that down at the top of the page. We've got one more week in the Jesus Formed Life that will be next week. Um, but each week we have started with these two truths or these two principles. And I'm going to give them to you again uh, because some of you forgot and some of you are brand new to the series. Okay, Every day you and I are being formed by something and someone. Okay, this is true. Every day, you and I are being formed by something and someone. And then here's the other truth statement that we're building out of. Whatever is forming you, whatever is forming, and something is, whatever is forming you, forms how you live and respond to all of life. Okay, write that statement down. Whatever is forming you forms how you live and respond to all of life. Like for some of you, you have a high-stress job. Okay? You just do. That's where your calling is. That's what you get paid to do. You love it, but it's stressful. And watch this. When you come home from work because you have a high-stress job, that shapes and forms how you respond to your spouse and your family. Okay? I'm not saying elbows thrown, I don't need eyeballs, sorry, looking at your spouse. I'm just saying, that you, are you with me? It forms how you, how you live and respond to all of life. For some of you, um, you grew up or you're growing up as a student in a household, um, and just full of unconditional love. Okay? I was blessed to grow up in that household. You know what that does? That shapes how you view yourself. You can be 45 years old and it's shaping how you view yourself. For some of you, um, maybe that wasn't the hand that life dealt you. Okay? It was not really an unconditional loving household. Maybe it was very broken. All right? And guess what? Okay? That's shaping and that's forming how you think about yourself. Okay? And listen to me. God's a healer. Okay? He's a redeemer. That's why we come up under truth. I'm just giving you those hypothetical examples that are real life examples because what I'm wanting you to understand is that whatever's forming you, and something is, something's controllable, something's uncontrollable, is shaping how you're living and responding to all of life, okay, to all of life. So whatever's forming us matters. So in this series, we're looking at God's word and eternal truth to help us understand how do we as a student, single adult, married spouse, grandparent, how do we live a life that is most formed by Jesus? And I'm just telling you, take it to the bank. That's what you were wired for, okay? That's what we were created for. So Colossians chapter 1 is where we're doing that. So all of us, man, let's go to God's word. Colossians chapter 1. Uh, if you have a harder digital copy of scripture, man, I just encourage you to open it up, put it in your lap. Uh, if you're watching online, uh, man, you know, scroll over to wherever you've got scripture so that you can take Take notes, see God's word, read God's word. Uh, this whole series, Colossians chapter 1, and uh, today we're going to look at just three verses, okay? That doesn't mean we're going to be done in under three hours, but we're going to look at three verses, all right? Some of you just freaked out a little bit. Some of you know I'm just, just kidding. All right, today here's where we're headed. Uh, here's what I'm going to give you today is the barriers to living a Jesus-formed life, okay? Yes, you were created for it. It is what most fulfills you, but here's, let's be real today, that doesn't mean it's easy, Right? This whole living a Jesus-formed life that Paul's talking about doesn't mean it's easier. So today, we're going to identify some barriers, and then we're going to talk about what is a pathway to walk around that. Okay? What's the pathway of truth that God calls us to? And that'll be where the solutions and the answers are today. So we're pick up in verse 21. We left off in verse 20 last week. So let's pick up in verse 21, and here's what Paul writes, Colossians 1. He says, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil 
behavior. Let's stop there. Paul starts this passage. He's reminding the believers at Colossae, thus we get Colossians. He's reminding them that they were once alienated from God. That's how the NIV reads. Uh, Now, this word alienated in the original Greek language meant literally transferred to another owner. Okay, alienated, transferred to another owner. And here's what where this matters for us, because all of us were born up under the race and the lineage of Adam, okay, Genesis 1. All of us are born alienated from God. We, we are separate from him, and then we live a life that does this. We live a life that we accept and we embrace that alienation status in the behavior of our mind and our actions, okay? That's where sin comes in. Now, let's real talk here. In the South, um, or the Bible Belt, as some would even call where we live, sometimes we have a hard time, sometimes some people have a hard time acknowledging that we weren't born into God. Okay, let's talk about that for a second. Um, While this verse is speaking very directly to the Gentile people of that moment, that's who Paul's talking to, The same thing is true for you and I, okay? We were born in a status that was alienated from God. Were we created by God? Yes, we were, but we were not born in community and in alignment and in relationship with God. That's not how we came out of the box. Because why? Because we were born into sin. And sometimes, this is where the the rub comes, sometimes people can begin to believe, well, I was born in a part of the world, in an area of the country where there are churches on every corner, where almost everybody says, God bless you, where we can still quote the Lord's Prayer at some sporting events and political events. Okay, so clearly, I'm okay. Like, I'm a little closer to God than maybe so-and-so. But the reality that Paul's highlighting here is that we are all born alienated from God. In fact, one of the phrases that a lot of people say is, uh, I grew up in a Christian household, right? I I would say that. I I grew up in a Christian household, so I must be good with God, right? What we're saying in that statement, let's clarify the the back half of that. What we're saying in that is, I grew up under a a household and a family where my mom and dad or, or the guardians over me pointed my life towards Jesus. They loved me and pointed me towards Jesus, but watch this, but that, ha- that doesn't change our spiritual status because of who mom and dad were. You with me? I grew up in a household with parents, praise the Lord, who in God's grace, they loved me and pointed me in the right direction, but that didn't just personally automatically change who I am. We're still born alienated from God. In fact, some of the most, I mean, let's be real, some of the most immoral, rebellious people grew up in who? A pastor's household, right? A lot of filtering going on at my house, okay, on what we're producing, all right? But the understanding here is that we're, we're all born into that alienated state. That's where we are. That's the bad news today. There'll be good news in the midst of that. Now, Paul says in verse 21, he goes on to say, we were enemies in our minds towards God. I told you I was going to give you three barriers today that may prevent us from living the Jesus-formed life. Here's the first one, barrier number one, losing the war of the mind. Write that part down. Losing the war of the mind. Paul wants these people to remember the status that they had apart from God. So he reminds them, here's where you were apart from God. You, when that alienated state, here's what that was. You were enemies in your minds towards God. Okay? Side street here. I need to make a public confession. You ready? I've been practicing for this. Okay? I'm a grown man, and I'm scared of needles. <laughs> I felt kind of good to just get that out. All right? 
Uh, I don't know what you think of me, but yeah, man card's still in pocket. I am scared of needles, okay? Like shots, giving blood, not my jam, okay? Don't come to me with your life on the line needing some blood, okay? I'm going to have to pray about it, all right, a little bit. I love you, but I'm just saying, I'm going to have to think about it, all right? All right, and it's, okay, thank you. I feel like I'm getting a little grace from some of you, okay? Um, and so obviously, over the course of my life, uh, I've had to have plenty of doctor's visits and appointments, medical, all that kind of stuff, where I knew there was going to be a needle involved, all right? And so here's how that goes in, like, just, I'm just talking my world, okay? I'm just being real with you. Preacher can be real with you. Um, knowing, leading up to that appointment, knowing it is coming is a knock-down, drag-out mental battle. Just, it just is, okay? Hey, I'm Brian. I'm scared of needles, okay? That's just me. Um, like, there are some moments where I pep myself up, and I'm like, I'm ready. Like, let's go. I'll take it on. It's just one little needle. I'm a big man, all right? Um, then there are other moments where I am in the bottom of the bottom, and I'm like, babe, I don't think so. I'm developing every illness that's going to keep me from going to that doctor right now. Um, so I'm just saying it is a, watch me, it is a war of my mind. All right? And I don't need you to come fix it for me after the gathering today. Okay, well, here's what you really should do. Okay, I'm just saying, it's a war of the mind. I tell you that silliness, but that's real in my life, because here's the deal. It's the same thing with our spiritual life. It's the same thing with your battle over sin and my battle over sin. Guess what? It is a war of the mind. It is. Paul says you are enemies from God in your mind. The war with sin always starts in the mind. Let's be real. Someone doesn't just jump into bed with someone that they aren't married to, but they decided in their mind way earlier that they were going to make some compromises. Someone doesn't just decide to steal and cheat from the company that they work for. No. They decided way earlier in their mind that they deserved more, that more was due them, that they could, they could take some shortcuts. Someone doesn't just decide to view explicit images on their um, phone or their screen or whatever, that, wherever they're going for, but they decided way earlier in their mind that they were not going to set up protection for themselves to keep themselves accountable. You with me? The war of spirit and flesh that Paul talks about a lot, we all live in it, okay? There's a war of this broken flesh and the spirit that I claim to have in me. You know where it is maybe loudest and most intense? Right here. It is the war of the mind. Paul would say it this way. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3. Look at what Paul said on the screen. He says, all of us, that's you, that's me, lived among them at one time. And here's what we did in our alienated state. We gratified the cravings of our flesh following its what? Its desires and what does it say? Thoughts. Where's the thought? It's right here. And like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. The war with sin always starts in the mind. And don't miss this. When you lose the war in your mind, you don't stand a chance when you're presented with the choice and the action. You already lost. That's why Paul says at the end of the verse, he says, you were enemies in your minds that then did what? That played out in your evil behavior. He said, you lost here, so you didn't stand a chance when you're on the battlefield. On the contrary, hear me, it's amazing how when the mind is prepared, the battle with the choices and the actions gets easier. Okay, so I gave you the barrier. I told you we're going to give some good news, some hope, some truth on the backside of that. And that is this, that the Jesus-formed life prepares the mind for battle. 
Okay, that's what we're aiming for. We're aiming for this Jesus form life. And what does it do? It prepares the mind for battle. Think about it. A good army doesn't roll into battle without what? Training their soldiers, checking how much ammo they got, practice firing the guns. They do all those things. It's the same way spiritually, church. A life that is being formed continually by Jesus does what? It prepares the mind for battle. In fact, I love what Paul's going to say. We're going to look at this in a couple of months, but Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Okay, that's those of us who are in Christ. So do what? Well, so set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And then here's verse 2. Look at this. Set your what? Set your minds. He's like, it's going to be a war. You're going to lose if you don't set your minds. Set your minds on things above not on earthly things. So here's just the easy application question. What are you setting your mind on most? And only you can probably answer that question today. Maybe your spouse, if you've been married for a while. What do, I mean, what is it? Like, is it um, work? Is it the tension with money? Uh, is it pleasure? Fear? Anxiousness? Like, we're, we're all investing our mind most somewhere. Or could you say today for you, it's truth. And I'm building my mind on truth. I don't mean like I just walk around all the time with a Bible in my hands, but my, my, my heart and my spirit are so invested in truth that I'm walking in that in my mind. Because listen to me, whatever you set your mind on most, I can guarantee you will determine your success or failure in the battle. All day, every day. The barrier to the Jesus-formed life is what? Is losing the war of the mind, but the Jesus-formed life does what? It prepares the mind for battle in what? In truth. Armoring up, in truth. Ammoing up, in truth. Go back to Colossians 1. Pick up verse 22. Scripture says, But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death, to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. God's answer, one commentator said this week, God's answer to the, promise, uh, the problem of alienation was reconciliation. That's good, right? Kind of Dr. Susie, but I like it, okay? God's answer to alienation, which we all were, was reconciliation. And last week, if you were here, part three, we said Jesus is before all things in what? Reconciliation. That God pursued the broken relationship that we created so deeply, and he did that through Jesus. We broke it, not him, but he initiated reconciliation through Jesus and through the cross. And I love how um, Paul started, uh, the NIV uh, starts verse 22 with two words. I love those two words, but now. You catch that? You feel that? He says, but now. He says, you were alienated from God, but now. Um, Every great movie has a but now moment. Does it not? Okay, right? Like, the beast's heart was really hard to soften, but beauty came in and did it, all right? Some of you, you registered. You smiled on that one, okay? Think about it. It didn't look great for Nemo on the trip, all right, through the sea. But what? But he found his dad and everybody rejoiced. Come on, okay? Uh, It didn't look great for Simba when he lost his dad, all right? But what? But he returned to the homeland. He whooped Scar's tail and he became king. And for some of you, you're like, I still don't feel you, okay? Um, it didn't look great for Rocky. He was a major, major underdog. Some of you just woke up, all right? But he woke up, he battled, he ran the stairs, and he whooped Apollo Creed. All I'm saying is that every great story 
has a but now moment. And I'm saying today that every Jesus-formed life has a but now moment. I used to be alienated from God. I was apart from him. I was hopeless. I was without him, but now. And so I'm just asking you, to, like, what's, do you have a but now moment? When you look at your life, can, can you describe this is who I used to be, but now Christ stepped in? Now hear me, the but now moment, it's not one that you generate. It's not one we create. It's the power of the Spirit in us, enabled by the cross of Jesus, but now, but now in our story. Now, verse 22, let's teach for a second. Verse 22, Paul included the words, he said, he's reconciled you, and then Paul said, by Christ's physical body through death. Why did he include that phrase? Well, because one of the false teachings of that day, some people who'd slid into the church at Colossae and they're trying to push their agenda, one of the false teachings was that Jesus did not have a physical body. They said he's spiritual in being, but he didn't have a physical body. So Paul's writing those words directly just to clarify, no, 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 he's fully God, but he's also fully man, which means that he had a full physical body, he lived a full physical life, he died a real physical death. Okay, that's why that phrase is in there. And then Paul gives us the result of Jesus' death. What, what is the result? And it's good, okay? It allowed us to be presented, Paul's words, holy, without blemish, and free from accusation. Highlight that part. Holy, without blemish, free from accusation. What does that mean? That means that Christ's death offered the way for our status to change. From impure, unrighteous, condemned. That's who we were when we were alienated. To be changed to holy, without blemish, and free from accusation. Now realize, Paul's not describing the behavior of a follower of Jesus, but he's describing their position in Christ. Okay? Do we still sin? Do we still mess up? Yes, we still live in a broken flesh. But in Christ, who are we? We are holy, we are without blemish, we are free from accusation. And here's the second barrier as we sit up under that truth. Here's the second barrier that holds us back from the Jesus-formed life, and it's this, lack of confident identity in Christ. Okay? Lack of confident identity in Christ. Write that down so we can talk about it. Um, the greatest news of someone who has surrendered their life to Jesus, he becomes leader, lord of their life, they're building their life on him, is that they are not who they once were. In Christ, we are given what? We're given a new name there's a new purpose, there's a new hope, and there is a new identity in Christ. It's part of what this house is built on. In fact, one of our foundational verses, 2 Corinthians 5.17, look at this on the screen. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the what? The new creation has come. How? Because of Jesus. The old is gone. I'm not who I once was. And the new is here. Or as we say, Jesus exchanges the old us for a new us, and we're given a new name and a new identity in Christ. But here's the struggle. You ready? One of the greatest struggles of people to walk out their faith is what? Is trying to figure out how to live in that new identity. What's that look like? Well, that just looks like real life. Um, so many people struggle to shake off the label of who they once were, who everybody knew them to be in high school or college or because of the divorce. We struggle to overcome the thought and the shame of that decision. 
and that one choice and that one night. And people struggle to believe that they can really be who God says that they can be or they could be used by him, that they could do something that God would call them to do. What is that? Well, it's a struggle to capture and to live in and to believe in the new identity of who you say you are if you are in Christ. And that's a barrier to walking it out. So what does the Jesus-formed life look like? Eh? If the barrier is lack of confident identity in Christ, the Jesus-formed life does this, continually reminds themselves of Christ's work in them. The Jesus-formed life that we were most designed for does what? Continually, it's a key word, reminds themselves, key action, of who? Of Christ's work in them. We are a forgetful people. Like, we are, we are pulled by the weight and the pressures of this world. Like, I know that most of you are going to enter tomorrow morning and you've forgotten 98% of what I said. And that may, does not make me feel real good about the work that I put in this week, okay? Why? It'll be a struggle for me, too. Because while we live in a very broken world that pulls on our heart, and we just said a while ago, it pulls on our mind, so therefore the Jesus-formed life does what? It continually finds ways to do it, to remind ourselves of who we are in Christ. Like some, like some of us need it on the hour, like a new dose every hour of who we are in Christ. Um, Christian author Milton Vincent said it this way. He says, preach the gospel to yourself every day. Tell yourself who you are in Christ. Tell yourself what Christ has done for you on the cross and tell yourself how he is with you now. That's good. I need, I need that like every single day. The Jesus-formed life continually reminds themselves of Christ's work in them. I read of a pastor um, who literally every day he makes a declaration to himself as a reminder. You may think this is weird. I think there's some power in this. Every day he gives himself a declaration and he speaks it into the mirror that sounds just like this. He says, Jesus is first in my life. I exist to serve and glorify him. I love my wife and will lay down my life to serve her. My children will love God and serve him with their whole hearts. I will nurture, equip, train, and empower them to do more for his kingdom than they can imagine. I love people and believe the best about others. And Christ in me is stronger than the wrong desires in me. I'm growing closer to Jesus every day. Because of Christ, my family is closer, my body is stronger, my faith is deeper, my leadership is sharper. I'm anointed, empowered, equipped, and called to reach people far from God. My words, thoughts, and imaginations are under the power of Christ. I take all thoughts captive, and I make them obedient to Christ. Because of Jesus, I'm a child of God. I'm a spiritual contributor, not a spiritual consumer. I'm chosen. I'm determined to love God and people with everything I have. I'm strengthened by God who upholds me, who protects me, and who defends me. I'm not easily offended and will not hold on to bitterness. I'm not alone. God is with me. I am loved. I'm fierce in confidence and boldness because God is with me. I am free. I am healed. I'm unashamed. I am secure. And I am a new creation. Every single one of us is prone to forget our identity in Christ. But the Jesus-formed life, who's established and preparing the mind for battle with truth, reminds themselves continually. Listen to me. Sunday for 30 minutes with somebody on the stage looking at you, telling you what the word says is not enough. But they continually find ways to remind themselves. And maybe for you, it's not a daily declaration, but man, maybe it'd be a daily stance in scripture. 
There's a way to remind yourself because, listen to me, the enemy loves nothing more than to slide in and to try to tell you who he says you are. But when you stand in Christ, you know what you get to say? But now. No, my story is different. The plot has changed. But now, I am holy. I am without blemish. I'm free from accusation. I am not alienated. I am a child. I'm a citizen of the kingdom. I'm a son as an heir. In Christ, that's who I am. Listen to me. It's a battle. And guess what? Guess what? It connects back to barrier one. It starts here. But we establish that in the word. Okay? The Jesus form life continually reminds themselves of who they are in Christ so that the barrier, that lack of confidence, becomes less and less of a barrier that keeps them from living this Jesus form life. One last verse, a lot of good truth in it. Let's go. Colossians 1, verse 23. Paul says, If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard, that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now watch this. This is all one sentence. Remember, this is one big letter that Paul's writing. He just continues the thought of verse 22 into verse 23. In fact, in my translation of Scripture, the first word of verse 23 is not even capitalized. It's just if. And he uses that word if so he's saying, if you will be holy and blameless, like you'll be holy and blameless, if you what? If you continue in your faith. Now, the way that this word is written in the original Greek language, it indicated this. It indicated Paul was having confidence that these believers at Colossae would live it out. In fact, some commentators said you can change that word if to since. In other words, since you're going to live this out. Now, I want to kind of talk about the other side of that because Paul is saying, I got confidence in you, but he's also presenting this understanding that perseverance in the faith is not inevitable for all believers. In fact, apostasy means departure from a position that you previously held. Okay, Apostasy. And that is a real possibility that Paul is alluding to here. He's concerned. Man, he's like, I love you guys. I didn't even met you. Remember, he's right for prison. I didn't even met him. But he's like, but I heard what God's been doing, and I, I got so much care for you. I'm just saying, man, hang in there. In fact, he would write this. This shows Paul's letter of, or Paul's amount of concern. Paul wrote a letter to Timothy, and look at what he said to Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Here's what he says. The Spirit clearly says that in later times, when are those later times? I don't know, but this is a later time than that was. I do know that. He says, in later times, what will happen? Some will abandon the faith. They'll do what? They will abandon the faith. And that what will happen? And they'll follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Now, probably not anybody in the room today going like, yeah, I'm, I'm following demons. But I'm just saying apostasy is real. And it may not look like a demon sitting on your mantle, all right? But there's a war in your mind. And there's a war between flesh and spirit. And this barrier, all right, this last barrier I want us to think about for a second, just kind of taking some of Paul's words, is this. The barrier to Jesus' form life is giving up on faith. Giving up on faith. Paul was concerned 
that the false teaching in Colossae could cause these believers to doubt and even leave their faith. He's showing like real concern over that. Now let's talk real life, 2023. In the same way, perhaps the greatest struggle, perhaps the greatest struggle of proclaiming Christians in our culture is to continue in their faith. Be very authentic with you. Even as the exchange over the last 10 years, perhaps the greatest struggle and frustration of our leadership, our staff team, has been the many people over the last decade who we have watched proclaim Jesus with their mouth, demonstrate surrender of their heart, perhaps even take a step of believer's baptism to publicly show what God's personally done in their life, and then seemingly give up on their faith. Just telling you, man, I sit in meetings over the last 10 years, hours and hours of conversation, realizing we're not God, but trying to figure out, what do we do with that? Man, our role as a house is not to just fill seats. Our role is to raise up followers of Jesus, who'd be what? Who'd be founded in truth who would be living the Jesus-formed life. And everybody's going to get it on different levels, but how do we do that? Now, maybe some of you have been there before, okay? And I'm, man, I'm not hating on you today. I'm just, we're just talking real, okay? We're going to talk truth at the end. Maybe you had a spiritual experience at some point in your life, here, somewhere else, church you grew up in, or you went to youth camp, and you went through a season where, man, you knew God was real, Right? Remember what that felt like? Man, your faith was at an all-time high. Maybe you made some declarations, some decisions. You're like, we're going to walk this thing out. Then life hit. Because guess what? It does for everybody. And it hit. And the world started talking louder than the truth that you were building your life on. And maybe where you are right now, feels, your faith feels so far from it did when you got baptized or when you walked an aisle or when you said, Jesus, I will. And maybe even internally, you wouldn't say it out loud at church, but internally, maybe you're going, you know what? I, like, there's days where I wonder, should, like, is it even still worth it? Does it matter? Is he real? Why is that? Real talk. Why is that? Why, why, what causes people to have weak faith? Because, man, we do sometimes, right? What, what causes people to perhaps even give up in their faith? Well, I don't want to answer it with just my thoughts, but Paul begins to give us some hints in verse 23. He says, if you continue in your faith, established and firm. You feel that? Established and firm. So here's kind of our last truth that I want us to find the good news in, okay? The Jesus-formed life is established and firm in truth and in community. Write that down. You're gonna, we're going to do something with that. Okay? The Jesus-formed life is established and firm in truth and community. If whatever is forming you forms how you live and respond to all of life, and we've established that's true, then just a question for you to begin to ponder over the next five minutes or so, is truth and community forming you? It's truth and spiritual community forming your life. Now, what is the truth that Paul's speaking about? Because we use truth like, I mean, just in every segment of society. Now, 
Well, here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying we should be established and firm in what truth? He says in verse 23, he says, in the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that's been preached to every creature under heaven. So what's the truth that we're building our lives on? The gospel. What, what is the gospel? Well, I think I'm going to clarify that in about like three statements because sometimes it gets wonky in our society. We hear a lot of different things, all right? It starts turning into self-help and I can do this and my destination is this. I'm telling you, this is gospel. Gospel is the truth that we are a broken people scarred by the sin of our past, right? We're alienated from God and we have no way of fixing that. Can't go to church enough, stop cussing enough, give enough money, can't do it. But Jesus is the only savior for what? For our sins and also for our life. And what happens? Well, when I surrender my life to him, which means what? Doesn't mean I go to church, but it just means he becomes Lord and leader of my life, which probably means I will long for church. Then what does he offer me? What do I live in then? Abundant life, John 10, 10. That's not just now, but it's for eternity. Or for some of us, we just think eternity and you need to remember it starts now. That's gospel. That's truth. And guess what? The Jesus-formed life, you ready? They never get over that foundation. Do we get deeper? Yeah, we get deeper. Can we go exegetical, deep in the word? Yeah. But I'm just saying, I never get over that. It's not I heard it in third grade Sunday school, told my Sunday school teacher, walked down the aisle, I'm good now. And when I hear gospel, that's old news. No, like daily, we read a while ago, daily I preach the gospel to myself. <laughs> daily I'm reminded of, man, I was alienated, but whoo, Jesus came in, all right? When I worship at my core, what allows me to worship, not my circumstances, gospel, truth in my life, who I was, who Jesus is, who he's made me to be. That's the truth. And then watch this, we're building on this. The Jesus-formed life is shaped by that truth on a continual basis. Here's what I'm saying. It's not just a Sunday thing. It's an everyday thing. It's an everyday thing. But unfortunately, here's where we're headed. Remember the barrier? Unfortunately, many people give up on their faith. Why? Because their will is weak and they fail to walk out and prioritize the spiritual practices that remind us of who we are in Christ. What you talking about? I'm talking about like your personal time in the word. I'm talking about you praying and communicating with God or worship, or serving, or walking in giving and trusting God with that. Real talk, I wrote this statement this morning. I've watched many people give up on their faith because their faith existed around just trying to get to church on Sunday. And listen, man, this is a priority. You got plenty of things to do, all right? I got friends that they're not here today because they got other priorities, okay? You prioritize this, but I'm just saying if this is your only priority and you fight for this, and some days it's easy, some Sundays, and some days it's not, and you fight for the online gathering, whatever, but I'm just saying if this is it for you, I watched a whole, I'm not saying it's you, but I'm just saying I've watched a whole lot of people give up on their faith. You know what we've done as a church? Again, I'm letting you behind the scenes. You know what we've kind of changed how we value what's healthy for us as a church family? It's not about attendance anymore. We count. We know how many people are here on a Sunday because it just kind of helps us keep a metric. But it's not attendance anymore. You know what it is? It's engagement. What's that mean? That means you're more than a booty in a seat. That means you're a life that's being changed. You follow me? There's a big difference. Okay, we can celebrate heads all we want, but what we're trying to celebrate is hearts that are being transformed and shaped daily by Jesus. 
Not how many people listen to the preaching and singing on Sunday. And I'm just, man, I'm, I'm saying this very authentically and passionately to you today because I don't want you just to be one of those numbers. I really don't. Like, I want all of us to walk this out. Woo! Hell would get pushed back if we walked it out. Okay? Jesus' form life is establishing themselves in truth and in community. So just the question, I'm not saying answer out loud, but the application question is, how are you doing at establishing your life continually, key the word, in truth? What does that look like? I just think about that. Maybe jot a couple of notes. What's your habits? What's your practices to build your life in truth? Now, I told you we're established and firmed in truth. What is that truth? Gospel. And also in community, in spiritual community. The Jesus-formed life realizes this, that we weren't created to walk out our faith alone, but we were made to walk in community with others. You hear us talk about that all the time. Can I just be real? You ready? Uh, community takes time. Community is messy. Community can be hard. I'm not trying to sell you something that's easy, but I'm telling you that community is essential to preventing you from giving up in your faith. And I'm just pleading with you today, don't give up in your faith. Okay? Here's what Hebrews says. Love this verse. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Look at it on the screen. It says, let us hold unswervingly, love that word, to the hope that we profess. That's the hope today. man. <laughs> Let's hold on to it. For he who promises faithful. And let us consider how we may, three different times we're about to go one another. You ready? How we may spur one another on what? Toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together. There's a one another. As some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging what? One another. There's no isolation in one another. There's others in one another which means others is messy, others is hard, others is intentional, others has to be a priority. You're going to have to push through with some others. But I'm saying today that it is essential to staying established and firm in our faith so that we don't fall into the barrier of giving up on it. Um, I've talked about this a little bit, but when I was, high school, was in high school, I played basketball. I love basketball, a lot of fun, especially love the games. Okay? Game, game day is always a good day. Everybody shows up for game day. But my least favorite part of basketball was preseason. Hands down, preseason. You know why? If you play basketball before, you know your coach is that way. Because in preseason, you run. And you run. And then the next day, you show up and you run. And then you run again and run again. I'll never forget. Like, it's stapled in my mind the day that we got dressed in the locker room and coach was like, just start running. And then he was like, hey, no, run off the school campus. I'm getting in the car. I'll follow you. You run. And then you run. We ran multiple blocks down the road from our high school. Like, coach, you, you sure this is okay? Yep, keep running, okay? Run into a neighborhood, all right? We're running around the neighborhood, run multiple blocks back to the school, going like, once we make it to the parking lot, we're good, right? And coach goes, no, now run, keep running to the track, all right? So we go to the track, and then he's like, now make a few laps around the track. And I'm just telling you, that was the day that I almost quit. Okay. <laughs> also almost died, all right, but definitely almost quit. You know the one reason that I didn't quit on that day, that I didn't throw in the towel and stop like four blocks that way? Because I was not running alone. I had a whole team, and there's a lot of us that wanted to quit. But I was running in community. I wasn't running alone. And I'm just telling you today that God has called you to live in community. 
that sanctifies you, that challenges you, that encourages you, that's hard, that's messy, but that builds up your faith. And the thing that burdens me is that there are a lot of people, maybe even some of you, who are trying to run out your faith alone. You're trying to live out your faith in your marriage alone. You're trying to run alone in your effort to love and parent your kids as best you can for the 18 seconds that it feels like you got them in your house. You're running alone in your work struggles and trying to live out your faith. How do I live out my purpose at work? But you're, you're running alone in that. You're running alone in your relationships, your friend issues, your emotions. And I'm just trying to plead with you today to say you were never created to live that way. In fact, I would go so far as to lovingly tell you today that running alone is the pathway to giving up. The Jesus form life refuses to give up in their faith. Why? Because they are established and they are firm in what? In truth and in community. God has created you, hear me, God has created you to be fulfilled. You were most designed to have your life continually shaped by Jesus. But hear me today, it's not easy. Okay? There are barriers like the war of the mind, like trying to give up on your faith, like struggling with your identity in Christ. But God has equipped you today. He is equipping you with the battle plan, with the truth that you need, with the community that you need to live out a life that is established and firmed in who he is. Who and what is forming your life? The reality is we are all being formed by something and someone. Through Colossians 1, Scripture challenges us to live a life that is being formed by the truth and grace of Jesus. The Jesus-formed life takes intentionality, commitment, and accountability, but in the end offers us the true joy, peace, and life that we deeply desire. As you think about what God may be saying to you and how He wants you to respond, we want you to know that we are available and ready to pray for and encourage you as you discover and dive deeper into the Jesus-formed life. You can begin a conversation with someone today by sending us a private message or by simply texting your first name to 601-397-6111. Our ministry team would love to pray for you and help you in any way. You can also find reading plans and other resources to help you take the next steps in your faith on our website, theexchange.cc. As we close out our time today and prepare to scatter as the church, let's speak out our declaration together. We believe the great exchange took place when Jesus, who had no sin, became sin for us so we could know God. We exist to see people exchange their old life for new life in Christ and to live out their purpose. Christ's love compels us to exchange ideas for truth. God's word is our standard. Selfishness for serving, we will serve others. Pleasing for reaching, we will share our faith. Keeping for dispersing, we will make disciples. And forgetting for celebrating, we will praise God. We are the church.